0: But what a joy it is to stand with people and praise God together. And um, I want you to know that when you and I, if you're in Christ today, when you and I are with the Lord in heaven, it's going to be a joy. We're not going to stand there and sing all day, but that's going to be a part of what we're going to be doing together with the Lord forever. Um, I want to just make a few announcements before I get into our message this morning. First of all, I want to welcome Justin and Maddie Whited. Um, Justin and Maddie, wave, wave wave, you guys, okay? Last week, the uh, congregation affirmed the decision to call Justin as our student pastor, and so they're just visiting the community this weekend, um, trying to nail down where they're going to live and all that kind of stuff. So welcome, you guys. We're excited for what the Lord is going to do as you lead us in ministry. So glad that they're here and and looking forward forward to uh, the future. I want to say a word about something that's happened this Thursday night. Starting this Thursday evening, there are going to be two small groups. They're, they're, they're short-term small groups. They're going to meet like six or seven weeks this summer. Okay, now we know summer is a crazy time. A lot of us are traveling and you might say, well, I'm going to be away for two weeks or something like that. That's Okay. All right? Even if you're going to be out, in and out of the group, I want to challenge you to two groups that are starting this Thursday. We'll meet on Thursdays throughout this summer on assorted dates. And it, we're, we're calling it a discipleship group. We have a group of men that are going to meet. We're going to start this Thursday at the Pizza Montes right over here. And then a group of ladies that are going to meet at the Beddington Royalton Club right down the road. Now, the, the location of some of those groups might change. But if you're coming, you need to be at those places this Thursday. 630, Pizza Montice, Beddington Royalton Club. And the, the, the challenge is, as the men meet and as the women meet, that we'll chase after the Lord together. That we'll understand that as we, as we pursue Christ in community, that we will grow and experience greater joy in our relationship with him we work through this book together. It's going to take us a year to get through it. We're not going to do it all this summer in our six or seven times, but it's called Discipleship Essentials. Um, I've really enjoyed looking at this and studying a little bit, and I want to encourage you to be part of that. So again, men at Pizza Montice, ladies, Beddington Ruralton Club. Well, how are you doing on waiting? Is waiting something you're good at? I want you to think about where in your life is your ability to wait and to be patient challenged. I don't know about you, but one of the places I really struggle to wait is sitting in front of my computer. I'll sit there and I run my mouse over an icon and I click it. And then it takes forever to kick on. Not now. Not now. But those are the old days. Those are the old days, Seth. And you wait and you see that little thing. Some of you guys understand that. Yeah. And that just drives me nuts. I mean, think about what's happening behind that monitor. All the things that are occurring. But I want it when. I want it now. Another place where this comes up for me is right over there at this stinking Walmart. I come in the line and I've got two items or, you know, 22 or 202, but I went through the line in a hurry. Do you ever find yourself waiting there and you're just getting so frustrated and you're like, why are these people here? This is my Walmart, right? Well, just this morning, you know, the Lord knew that I was gonna talk I was gonna start with this, with the value of waiting. And this morning I pulled in here and turned right at the light and came down the highway, came down the road here on campus drive, and I pull up and there is a flock of geese crossing the road. Did anybody else see this? Or just okay. The Lord, I guess, allowed just yes, a few of us to see it for this moment. And what was interesting about it was, there, was a, there, were, there were two cars waiting to go up the hill, two cars waiting to pull out of that little development up there, and me and another car, and we're waiting on these like 25, 30 geese, and they're just taking their good old time. So I just ran them over. No, I did not. I did not. But, but I'm waiting, and I find myself just growing so impatient. Do you understand that? Open up your Bible with me. First of all, to the Gospel of Luke. I want to just, as we get into our, our series today, back to dust to glory, I want to just, just point something out to you here that's interesting. Um, in Luke chapter 1, we're not going to spend hardly any time here at all, um, but I just want to show it to you as we, as we move into our topic for today. In Luke chapter 1, this was pointed out to me this week. Um, in verse number 55 we have the, the song of praise that is shared by Mary, the mother of Jesus. Now, just to put this in perspective, this is about 2,000 years ago that Mary said this. And Luke recorded it sometime after that. Luke recorded the words of Mary. Mary. The moment here is when, when she understands that, that she is going to bring Jesus into the world. God is going to use her to do that. And I want you to notice that what, what she says here in verse 54 and 55. She says, he, being God, has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. If you look right across the page in my Bible, at Luke chapter 1, verse number, let's see, where is it? Abraham there, Zechariah here, is praying. And in verse 73, he is now praising God, and he says that the oath was kept that he swore to our father, Abraham. Now Abraham is the, as I sort of have studied it out, is the third most common sort of person that is spoken about in your New Testament. First to be Jesus, second to be Moses, third, Abraham. And let me just tell you, this happened 2,000 years ago. We're reading what was said 2,000 years ago. And Mary and Zechariah are remembering a promise that had been made 2,000 years before this moment. Mary. Mary. Zechariah, as they contemplate Jesus coming to the earth, remember a promise that has been made 2,000 years prior. We're in the middle of a series right now. We, we just started it a few weeks ago, calling "A Dust to Glory. And the idea here is we're going to walk through and understand the message of the Old Testament. We're going into this section of Scripture that you probably don't read a whole lot, although I want to challenge you to do that. Some of us have been reading through some of the Old Testament. We made it through the Pentateuch. You should finish Deuteronomy tomorrow if you're on task. And you start in the Joshua, okay? If, if you haven't been reading with us, I challenge you to jump on board today. In your worship notes I mentioned you should read, I think it's Exodus 3, 12, and 33 or something like that. It's there on your worship notes. And then jump into Joshua tomorrow. Join us. And walk through this time with us of of studying the Old Testament together. When we meet on Sunday mornings, we're going to be talking about the very message, the the very accounts that you'll be reading. So one of the things I want to do, if you go to the next slide, is I want to talk about why we should study the Old Testament. Why is the Old Testament important? So turn to another Luke passage, Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16. And I want to show you here something that the Lord Jesus says about the Old Testament that I think will help us understand. I mean, most of the time, we spend, our, we spend the bulk of our time in the New Testament. I love reading the New Testament. I love studying the New Testament. As I shared prior, I have, I have more, I've been, in, I've been taught more about the, about the New Testament. I've had more training in studying in, in the language and the, the message of the New Testament so me, if you, if you throw a Bible in my hand and say, "Lo, preach a message, I'm going to the New Testament. That's just, that's just the way that I am. But we're missing, we're miss, if we aren't careful, we can miss so much important truth about God. I told you that the Old Testament is God's autobiography. It is the Lord revealing his character and his work in the world. In Luke chapter 16, there's a very interesting story that Jesus tells. I won't take the time to tell it. But two men die, a rich man and a man named Lazarus. And they both go into eternity. One to heaven and one to Hades or hell. And the man in hell has brothers who haven't died yet. And he speaks. Jesus records this this account there's debate about whether this is an actual account that really occurred or is this a story that Jesus is telling? We don't really know. But the man in hell speaks to Abraham, by the way, and he says, Please send somebody to my brothers to warn them not to come to this place of torment. Appreciate Pastor Billy challenging us with outreach this summer. Is take advantage of these opportunities. Let me tell you, people in hell, people in Hades, would love to have the opportunity to warn people not to go there. That's what this man is revealing. And so the man in hell says, Abraham, send somebody to this to my brothers and tell them not to come to this place. But in verse number twenty nine, look what look what Jesus records re- tells us that. The answer was, but Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And the man in hell said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. Do this miracle. Send somebody back from the dead. Do something miraculous. Some big sign. And then they'll turn. He said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be the convinced that someone should rise from the dead. Now, here's why I'm going here. One of the reasons why we need to study the Old Testament is because the Old Testament reveals God's grace. We're going to see that today. It reveals God's grace, and we will see that people have always been saved through faith by grace alone nobody has ever been saved because they kept the commandments because they practiced sacrificial system because of anything like that we've only been saved by grace Through faith. And Jesus is saying that here. I want to show you this next slide just so you understand what Jesus is talking about, why he said what he said. They have Moses and the prophets. This would be the Hebrew Bible table of contents. If if Jesus were carrying around a Bible, which he wasn't, by the way, they didn't bind Bibles in that time like they do now, but if he was, this is the table of contents. And often you will see Jesus refer to the Old Testament as Moses or the law, prophets, and the writings. That's how the Hebrew Old Testament was laid out. So when Jesus said he has has Moses and he has the prophets, this is his way of saying they've got the message of the Old Testament. And there you find grace. You find grace. Grace. One more more forward slide, I believe. I want to mention this. Another reason, another thing we need to understand about the Old Testament is the Old Testament focuses upon the people of God, the covenant people of God that God chose to bring his message to the world. The Old Testament is about God choosing the people of God, the Hebrew people, the Jewish people, Israel, and saying, I'm going to use you, Israel, to take the message to the world, But the relation with the Old Testament and the New Testament is the New Testament, though, is about the person of Christ. The Old Testament was the people of God. The New is about the person of Christ. So what we're trying to do is is to understand the message of our Old Testament. I had a seminary professor, Old Testament scholar, and um, every single test, now you only took two, but on both of our tests... The first question was, what is the name of the first part of the Bible from Genesis to Malachi? What do we call that? And if you said the Old Testament wrong, he had this, it was like this rocking horse that he liked to get on the ride. You were not allowed to call it the Old Testament, okay? What do you think he wanted you to call it? Think about it. Don't, don't say that loud. What would you answer? The name of the section of the Bible from Genesis to Malachi. He said, that's not the Old Testament. I remember standing up front, real old guys with the Lord now. It's not the the Old Testament. It's the First Testament. That's the answer he wanted. It's the First Testament. So we're going to see today that the message is is the same. And the way we're going to do it, now you can turn to Genesis chapter 12, is we're going to look at the prototype of faith. The Abraham, the prototype of faith. He is the, the first example of what faith looks like. And he is used by the Lord to illustrate faith over and over and over again. You see, you see Abraham represents, uh, that is referenced in Romans, in Galatians, in, in Hebrews, throughout your Gospels. Peter references this, the message of Abraham over and over and over. James references Abraham He is like the the example of what faith should look like and what it looks like to have a relationship with the Lord. I think the bulk of people, I know, the bulk, now listen, because this might be you sitting here today. The bulk of human beings believe in their heart that if they're good enough, if they practice the right religion, if they believe the right thing or if they just sincerely believe that they'll be accepted by God. The bulk of human beings. Broad is the road to destruction. And we heard a folks group this morning that it's covered with neon signs. Broad is the road to destruction. Come, be good enough. Work your way to God. Do these acts, and God has to accept you. I mean, look at you. Look at me. This is, this is human beings. Look at me. I have so much to offer God. I'm such a good person. In my heart, I'm good. So God certainly will accept me. That is a lie from the pit of hell. It started in the garden. It's still being taught today in many, many places of worship. Be good enough. Practice this religion. Do this thing. Pray in this way. Light this candle. Do this act. And God will accept you. Romans chapter, I'm sorry, Genesis chapter 12. See, I just naturally go to the New Testament. Sorry about that. Genesis chapter 12. Let's look at verse number one. It says, now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. Now, hold on. On your screen, I don't have time to go through all of this. We we have some of the, the events of Abram's life. Okay, if, if you read through this, you saw this. We, we, are, we, aren't, we are not doing a character study of the life of Abraham today. We're not gonna look at Abraham to find how to be a good boy or a good girl. We don't read the Old Testament to see what's it look like, how how are we to be a good person. The Old Testament is the story of God. It's the story of God. But we do have these acts that Abram goes through. And here's the first one. Abram, God speaks to Abram. Abram soon after this in chapter 13 is going to choose Canaan and his his relative Lot is going to choose Sodom. God delivers Abram in battle. He justifies Abram by faith. Abram doesn't trust God, so he takes a second wife, violating God's plan for marriage. Marriage has always been one man, one woman. That's always been God's plan. Abram violated that, see? He's not perfect. If we get to heaven by being good, Abram's going to hell, folks takes a second wife but God still promises him Isaac. Abram demonstrates a heart for people. We'll see that next slide, please. He also continues in this sort of journey. God destroys Sodom. Right after that, God rains down fire and destroys Sodom. Abram has just been he's just won a victory in battle because God was with him. And in Genesis chapter 20, Abram walks up to some king, knees knocking. The king notices his beautiful bride, Sarah, his wife, who must have been very attractive. And the king said, hmm, I'd like to have her. And Abram said, oh, um, that's just my sister. Go ahead. And offers his wife to this king. See, Abram wasn't a good guy. Abraham was not a good guy. Now, he has some shining moments. In Genesis chapter 22, God says, take your son and sacrifice him. And Abraham says, yes, Lord, I will follow you. And you know, at the end of Abraham's life, Genesis chapter 23, his wife dies. She's 127 years old, I think it was. She's old. She dies And Abram doesn't even own a piece of land to bury her. He dies homeless. And he's got to go to another king and say, Can you can you help me out? Sarah's dead, and I've got nowhere to bury her. Okay, now go back to Genesis chapter 12. And let's see here what is is God doing in the life of Abram and why does the New Testament over and over and over and over and over say, this is what faith looks like. This is what faith looks like. Genesis chapter 12. Now the Lord said to Abram. We need to understand that that this is a very essential moment because he is the prototype of faith. And you got to understand that this is a brand new thing for God to speak into a life. This isn't happening. This is not a, this is not a regular occurrence. God speaks into Abram's life. Let me show you one thing that, that the New Testament reveals about Abram. In Romans chapter 4, I think that's what's next on my slide here. In Romans chapter 4, look what, look what the Word of God says. What then shall we say, was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh. Keep going. For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about. But not before God. One more. For what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now hear this. We are gonna see. My, here's, here's my whole point. Okay? Abraham is saved by faith. When you understand that, that's the point today. It is by faith only that Abraham is saved. But there's an there's an important thing for us to understand as we go into this. If Abraham, if Abraham was not saved by works, no one could be. If Abraham was not saved by works, if, that, if his works were not enough to get him to God, you don't, have a, you don't have any chance. If Abraham was not saved by works, no one could be. Because God is speaking to him, and he responds, and he listens in a pagan world. But if Abraham was saved by faith, if it's true, as the word of God just said, that everyone is saved by faith, then everyone must be. This is what we need to understand about Abraham. If Abraham wasn't good enough to come to God, you and I don't have a chance. But if Abraham is saved by faith, then that's the only hope you got. And that's the point today. All right, so let, let's, let's go through my outline and the message today. First of all, I want to say this, that God's grace preceded faith. You see that in Genesis chapter 12. God's grace precedes faith. The grace of God in someone's life comes before faith. You say, well, where do you get that here, Lowell? Where do you get that? Listen, you need to know what kind of a man Abram was. Write down this reference, Joshua 24 2. Joshua in 24 2 records that Abram and his father Terah followed after false gods. Abram was a pagan, surrounded by the Canaanite world with, with wicked, evil worship of false gods. That included all kinds of sexual sin, all kinds of murder, all kinds of just just awful things. The Canaanite God system, and Abram was in it. 24-2, Joshua. He followed after false gods. Isaiah 51, verse number 1 and 2, says that Abram came from a pit. From a pit. But God Chose to speak to Abram. Do you remember chapters 1 through 11 of Genesis? Do you remember how wicked it was? Do you remember that God wiped out the earth and then Noah walked out of the boat and sinned again? Do you remember that in Genesis chapter 11? The people of God, because they all have one, I'm sorry, the people of the world, because they all have one voice, they all have one language, they build this big temple and they'll say, oh, now we'll be mighty, and God has to step in and, and mess up their languages, because if they doesn't, they're going to just continue to go right back to where they were pre-flood. This is the world. And God speaks to Abram. Grace proceeds. Faith. You don't find God because you're looking for him. Romans 3 says that no one, verse 10 and 11, no one seeks after God. The only seeker in the world is God. You know, I remember when I wanted nothing to do with God. I remember it. I was a teenager when I came to Christ, and I, did, I couldn't stand you guys. I didn't like you guys at all. You were a bunch of freaks and I want nothing to do with you, Christians. It was me, honestly. I was a murderer in my heart because I hated Christianity. I was just too afraid to follow through and do what really I felt in my heart. I hated Christianity. And I found myself in a place where somebody preached the gospel and God came and sought me and maybe he's seeking you today because that's the way God works. God works. Abram speaks. I'm sorry. God speaks to Abram. Now, turn over a couple pages. You know, we got we're going through this whole thing. We're going through like 13 chapters of scripture today. So, go to Genesis chapter 15. Here's another time where the Lord speaks to Abram. Let's jump into verse number four of chapter 15. See, we need to understand that. Prior to Abraham, man is broken and and desperate and hopeless. But God steps into the silence. God steps into the silence and speaks to Abram's heart. Look what he says in verse number four. Behold, the word of the Lord came to Abram. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. See, Abram and Sarah are childless. They're barren. They have no children. And God has made these promises to Abram. And Abram's like, dude, I don't even have any children. Why are you going to bless me? I can't give this to anybody. You say you're going to, through my generations, you're going to bless the world, and I have none. And the Lord brought Abram outside and said, look towards heaven. Number the stars, you're able to to number them. And he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Now listen, this is not about a number of children. This is important to understand. This is not about a number of children. This is not God saying to Abram, I'm going to give you all kinds of kids. And they're going to sit around you on Christmas morning. And you're going to have a great day of celebration. And you're going to have many, many grandchildren. And many, many great, great grandchildren. Because what what could be happier than that? That is not what this promise is about. This promise goes back to Genesis chapter 3, where God promises the human race that he will send one who will crush Satan. And now that promise has been transferred to Abram, and Abram has no children. He says, how are you going to have a descendant of mine who's going to fulfill this promise? And God says, look at the stars for night before last, it was a, it was a clear night. I walked outside. Had some, had some people at our house visiting and walked outside. And, and as they rode away, I just stood there and looked at the sky. And we got a lot of light pollution here. Imagine what it was like in the desert that night, right? Stars all over the place. So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord. And he counted it to him as Righteousness. Folks, that's the gospel. That's it. That is justification by faith. That's what that is, and that's that's what that's why this is brought to to the forefront so often in the New Testament. We're not saved by our actions. We're not saved by our goodness. We're not saved by our works. We are saved because we believe. Because we believe what God has revealed to us in this time. You see, Abram, he transcends dispensations. If that means anything to you, okay? Here's what this means. Abraham is before the cross. He's before the law. He's before the temple. He's before everything. Before everything. And so Paul and God and the Spirit say, you think maybe by following law? You think by following a system? You think by following a religion? Let me show you a man that predates all of that. Where there was no Judaism, there was no law, there was no commandment, there was no religion. But God justified him. Now you might struggle with that word, what it means. I'm going to help you with that in just a minute. But this, this truth is very important for us to understand. Abraham did not get righteousness because he was good. He was granted righteousness. God's, God's acceptance. God said, I look at you and I brand you righteous. I permanently brand you righteous. Abram could have said, but, but why? Why? Is it because I'm going to do good things in the future? Is it because you think I'm a really nice guy? Is because I'm religious? No, the Bible tells us very clearly. Verse 6, 15, you there? 15, 6 and he believed the lord and he counted it to him as righteousness the source of abraham's acceptance is his faith in god and his faith alone now let's let's talk about this a little bit more it's that important go to romans chapter 4 Go over to Romans chapter four. Now, I know you're you're going out of Genesis, but but you're not leaving Abraham, okay? So so go with me. Romans chapter four. Josh has it for the screen for you, but but here's what it says. And If you're there, you'll notice it is a direct quote. Verse three is Genesis 15, six, okay? But look what is said in verse number five, four and five, let's see those. Now, to the one who works, His wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. So if you're working your way to God, you don't get a gift from God. You get what you deserve. Remember that. If you are going to work your way to God, you get what you deserve. Now that's fair at work. That's fair if I sell you something. But do we want that before the Lord? Verse number five. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Now there's a phrase there that is very important. He justifies who? The ungodly. Wow. See, Abraham was not a good guy. You say, well, he did the whole Isaac thing. And he looked up at the sky and he believed God. He wasn't a good guy. You know, by the time I was in junior high, I was a murderous adulterer. I hate to admit that to you guys. Heard somebody talking about this on a podcast this week and I thought, boy, well, that is really true. But a time the average person is a junior high or they're a murderous adulterer. I say, what? What kind of junior high did you go to, Lowell? What did Jesus say? If you have hate for a person, what? You are guilty of murder. If you look at a woman to lust for her, You are guilty of adultery. Folks, I was guilty of adultery and a murder by sixth grade. I just didn't have the guts to follow through on it. That's all it was. There are no good people. You're not good. You're not good. You are ungodly. You and I are guilty of murder. We are guilty of adultery. We are thieves. We are liars. We are wicked, evil people. We are the ungodly. Abram was an ungodly, murderous, adulterous, lying thief. Just like you and just like me. God justified him because he believed God. Justified, here's what it means. It means when one who is reigning supreme over another, there's a judge at work, and he reigns supreme over his courtroom. To justify means for the one who's reigning supreme To declare the underling, not just not guilty, but righteous. So it's not the judge who says, not guilty. It's the judge that says, perfect American citizen. Right here. This is what God does with the ungodly who believe him. This is what God does with the ungodly who respond his offer of grace with faith. And say, yes, Lord, I know Jesus went to the cross for sin. And his death alone is what brings me to God. Nothing else can be added to it. He doesn't ask for any religious activity because all of that is ungodliness. He doesn't ask for any goodness because it's all stamped with me. Which is far from good. The only hope that man has is the same hope that Abraham had. Abraham had to be saved by faith. And that means everybody's got to be saved by faith. This is the truth. It goes on. You're in Romans 4. I mean, it just continues. This is the message of the Bible, folks. This is the gospel. This is the cross. And I will preach it. That's what we're called to preach. Christ crucified. So he could justify the ungodly. Look what David says. See, Paul goes on. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. I want God to count righteousness to me. And he has, because I have believed the gospel. Look what David wrote. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. That is the gospel. And folks, this goes on and on throughout scripture, but I'm getting low on time. So just listen to this. Acts 16.31. You can write these references down if you want to. Acts 16.31. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. John 3.16. Whosoever believes in him shall be given life. Romans 10.9-10. Believe in your heart that God raised from the dead. John 1.12. He has given those who have that, that believe on his name the power to be called children of God. 2 Corinthians 4. Listen to this one. Write this one down. 2 Corinthians 4, verses 3 and 4. That Satan has blinded the eyes of those who do not believe. Satan has blinded the eyes who do not believe. Now hear this. Believing there is a God. The demons do that. And shudder. This isn't believing there is a God. This is believing the offer that God has brought. Christ crucified. No works. I'm justified by faith. Well, I think we're going to one o'clock today. Um, so yeah, so if we go on. Okay, now I'm gonna I'll, I'll kick it into fifth gear now, so we won't go to one. But I want you to see this: what this grace does. It changes our life. We're transformed, and changes our life. Genesis, Genesis chapter 22, we'll go back there. We're coming back to the New Testament in just a minute. But Genesis chapter 22, look what happens here in the life of our man, Abraham, as he shows us what it means to have faith, okay? Now, this, this is all over Scripture, okay? I've said the wrong reference. Um, Genesis chapter 12, verse number 4 is where I'm going, first of all. Look what, look what happens here in, in Abram's life. Over and over and over, you see that he is transformed, he is changed. Genesis 12. Verse number four. So Abram went. Huh? I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and anyone who dishonors you I will curse and in in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. So God said go and Abram went. That's what happens in a transformed man or woman. God says go and you go. Go. Genesis 15, go there with me. Genesis 15, verse number 6. And he believed the Lord. He believed him. He believed him. Genesis 17, go with me there. This is a little bit longer story. I won't take the time to say it all, but there's a command that God has given to Abraham. Verse number 22, when he finished talking with him, God went up from Abraham. Then Abraham took Ishmael, his son. Now listen to this, men, on Father's Day. And all those born in his house or bought with his money, every male among them, the men of Abraham's house, and he circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very day as God had said to him. And Abraham is pushing 90 years old. Here's the point. Look at James 2. Look at James 2 because Abraham is also, Abraham is used as an example and as a challenge to us that we are credited or righteousness when we believe God. But James pulls out Abraham for a different reason. Look what he says in verse number 21. Was not Abraham our father justified by works? When he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. You should recognize that. We said it about a dozen times today. And he was called the friend of God. God. You see, here's, here's, here's the difficulty of the cross message. Here's why we gotta keep preaching justification by faith. Here's why even though the world calls it foolishness, we will preach Christ. Here's why you got it here. you gotta listen right now. We are justified by faith. Not by works. But when we are justified, that faith will work. It will work. If it's a faith that doesn't work, it's a dead faith. Abraham was justified by faith and then his faith worked. And this is the way it works. We're being warned here. Belief results in Abraham left his pagan life. He left the pagan gods and went nowhere, folks. Went out of the desert, wandered around, died homeless. You see, we turn from the system of the world and we turn to God when we're justified. Now, again, I got a whole host of verses, okay? But just listen, you can write these two. Romans 12, 1 and 2. We are saved and then we're not conformed to the world. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14 through 17. Do not be yoked with the world. Do not be locked arm in arm with the world. Be separate from them. What, 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 does, what does darkness and light have in common? When we're justified, we're changed. Oh, I gotta go to this one. Go to Galatians chapter 1. Galatians 1, verse 3 and 4. Listen to this and be challenged by it. Galatians 1, verse 3 and 4. We're going to do this verse. I'm going to say one thing, and then we'll wrap up. So listen to this. Grace to you, Paul writes, and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins. Praise God for that. Praise God for that. But that is not where it ends. Sadly, that's where many people believe that the Christian cross message ends. Save me from my sins. What a great deal. No. Saves, he gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. He delivers us. From the evil age. He says, you are mine and I will make you different. And you will not be of the evil age. See, when we believe, God credits us with righteousness. Not by works, but by faith. And in that faith, works. And it changes us. It changes us. I think some people hear this, and they're like, yeah, but that's the problem, Lowell. I I don't want to be changed. Now hear this. I don't want to be changed. I like the world. I like what the world has to offer. Look how pretty and shiny it is. Look how awesome. I, I want what it has to offer. I can't give that up. It's too nice. Somebody explained to me this way one time, and it really helps me. When we are justified by faith, so we're made a new creature. It's like God goes through all the world and swaps out the price tickets, and now the things of the world they aren't worth as much. They aren't worth as much. You know, I don't commit adultery. Because I don't want it. I don't want it. It's wicked. Destroys. It, It breaks my fellowship with God. You know why I don't lie? Because it breaks my fellowship with God and I don't want it. It disgusts me. You know why I don't chase after pornography? Because it breaks my fellowship with God. It has nothing for me. The price tags have been swapped. It's worthless now. Justified by faith, just like Abraham, he believed God. He believed God. And God said, "Boom, brand you, righteousness, change, new heart, new spirit, new creature. New price tag. New system, New man, new future, New eternity. Newness of life. This is what faith is, folks. He's the prototype of faith. It's where we look for what faith looks like. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, Lord, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your, the new life you bring us. And Lord, I just pray for, for us today that we would understand justification by faith, that you declare us righteous. Not because of acts. Not because of religion. Not because of who our parents are. Not because of, of us coming to church. None of that does it. That's all filthy rags. Because it's all tainted by us. Lord, all you call for us to do is to look to the cross of Jesus Christ and believe, and believe that that death That resurrection brings me life. That Jesus died for sins, was buried, and rose to new life. And to all who believe that message, God gives them the power to be called children of God. Thank you, Lord, for the gospel. May we preach Christ crucified this week. his name, amen.